Broussard, I'll start with you. What do you make of Jordan saying that, that we he would have come back one more year? You believe him, or is that something that's easy to say today, looking back? No, I completely believe him. Look, he had already retired once, so he knew how much he wanted to play basketball. And, of course, he came back a few years later. He had just made it clear that he was only going to play for Phil Jackson. And when Phil Jackson didn't return, it was a wrap. Now, I was surprised last night that Jackson said, you know, Ryan Jerry Reinsdorf gave him the opportunity to come back. But it was kind of half-hearted in that they still were going to do a rebuild And so I think it was a little disingenuous to offer him to come back when you're going to rebuild. I would have I think there are only two ways a dynasty should break up. One is you get beaten on the court or two, your superstar player that leads the team just gets old and decides to step away and retire. It should not be the front office deciding when you're still the best team in the world with the best player in the world that you're going to rebuild. Jerry Krause should have understood you get just as much glory and credit by reloading around Michael Jordan three times because they would have had to reload rather than just trying to rebuild completely, which obviously never came to pass. So you look at Scottie Pippen, he had two years left. The next two years, he played the full season. So you should have brought him back. And then could you have gotten more out of Rodman? Perhaps he only played 35 more games the rest of his career for other teams. But even if you had to replace Rodman, that's where Krause could have shown his expertise and gone out and got somebody to replace Dennis. I think they could have won a seven straight. I, well, so okay, you it would have been a seventh straight. I know we skipped those two years seven, where Jordan didn't yeah. play, even though he kind of played one of them. But they could have won a seventh. To, I, here's the seventh thing: ring, so. it's an amazing sliding doors moment. Because it would have been another brutal loss for the New York Knicks at the hand of Michael Jordan. What happened that next season? The Knicks sneak into the playoffs as an eight seed. Allen Houston has his runner. Larry Johnson has his four-point play. That team doesn't even make the playoffs if Jordan's Bulls make the playoffs. The eight seed gets knocked out. And I do believe, Broussard, they would have made the NBA Finals. But I think they would have been done winning titles. Because in those NBA Finals... David Robinson and Tim Duncan were waiting for him, and they never had to deal with the great center in the NBA Finals. And the following year, it would have been Shaquille O'Neal waiting for him. So for that reason, and for another maybe more important reason, I think the timing worked out perfectly for Michael Jordan, and here's why. I believe Game 6 in 1998 against the Utah Jazz was the greatest game Michael Jordan ever played. And I, the stat line, it's like, okay, it was a really good game, but the greatest, he had 45-1-1, one and one, 15 of 35 from the field. But what you saw last night, and I hope people that didn't quite remember it now do, was that he was an offense unto himself that night. It was, you were facing the specter of a game seven on the road in the toughest arena in basketball. Jordan scores over half of his team's points. Pippen's back is out. Rodman's on his last legs. The only role player that really stepped up was Kukoc. And not only did Jordan carry them for the first 47 minutes, but he had the most storybook final 45 seconds of a career, even though we know he came back, one could have. The layup to get the two-for-one and to tie the game, the steal you're seeing right now on Malone, and then the iconic jumper. 
It was a perfect ending to his time in Chicago. And while I would have been impressed if they made the finals the next year and then lost to the Spurs, a lot of people have decided the single worst thing you can do in the NBA is lose in the finals, not the first round or miss the playoffs. The worst thing you do is lose in the finals. So it probably would have besmirched his legacy for some. So I think it worked out perfectly for Mike because I think he walked away from Chicago having just played the single greatest game he ever played in Chicago. So Wilds, I, even if he wanted to, I think Phil Jackson did him a favor by walking away when he did. I think that's, that's a good point, Nick. I think the narrative uh, leans in Jordan's favor that he's 6-0. and But I want to push back on Reinsdorf's assertion that it would have been a financial impossibility to bring that team back. There was two interesting tweets I saw. The first one's from Bobby Marks, great guy. And he said that there's three people signed the biggest deals of their career. It was Luke Longley, uh, Scottie Pippen, and Steve Kerr. So then Dusty, our esteemed researcher, dug in a little bit more on the salaries of the 98 Bulls and what could have been the 99 Bulls. It doesn't look that bad. Jordan has a huge salary, of course, but these other increases are not, you know, outstanding to the point that you couldn't make it work. Now, the other thing, and Broussard mentioned this, is Rodman. Now, the thing about Rodman is it's not necessarily the money. If you look at all the money, Rodman's salary goes down. Here's Mannix. More convinced than ever that no coach or team could have extracted the production from Rodman that Phil and the Bulls got out of him in those first three years, three years. Rodman played 35 games for two teams after that. His career was basically over. Now, Broussard, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I don't think Rodman's career was over physically. I think it was over because he couldn't get managed. Phil managed him perfectly. You, you could go let him go to join the NWO before a finals game. I don't know if any other coach can let him do that. So I think there was more in Rodman's tank, but he was just mismanaged. No, I think that's fair. And, and I do, because remember, he was a problem in San Antonio before he went to the Bulls. So I totally agree. Jordan and Phil Jackson did a great job with Rodman. So they may have gotten more out of him. However, even it, it's an unknown. And I think if they had decided to rebuild, you saw Jerry Krause did three signing trades that summer. He could have been able to figure something out to get one or two players to try to replace what Rodman gave him. And I'm going to push back on something Nick said that Jordan hadn't met great centers in the finals, but he had dismantled or beaten great centers in the Eastern Conference playoffs. He obviously had to go through Ewing several times. He went through Shaq who had a great supporting cast and a healthy Penny Hardaway, who at that time was tremendous. And then great three-point shooting around the interior center in Dennis Scott and Nick Anderson. So I think Jordan and a good supporting cast with Pippen and others could have handled the Spurs Twin Towers. But none of that works without, to Wild's point, Phil Jackson sort of being the glue. We talk so much about Jordan's impact. Phil Jackson really had the the understated impact to all of those guys. Would you agree, Nick, that he was sort of become the, the understated hero throughout that whole stretch? Yeah, yeah, a thousand percent. And I thought the stories at the end with Phil were incredibly poignant and a great reminder for a guy who, listen, he, his, his time with the Knicks was obviously a disaster. His comments on LeBron and the circle around LeBron were 
to be to be generous, they were uncouth, and you probably could call them a few other things. But n- no one should forget he is the greatest basketball coach of all time, and it's not close. With respect to Pop, it's not close. Phil Jackson, in a 12-year stretch, won nine NBA titles with players, none of whom had ever won a single title. He won three with Michael and Scotty. Michael goes away. They make the second round twice. Michael comes back. They win three more. Phil takes one year off, and then they win another three immediately in Los Angeles. What he did, and by the way, then two more a decade later with Kobe and Pow. I... Phil Jackson and his accomplishments, uh, Broussard, I think it's almost been forgotten. What He has as many rings as Bill Russell does. And what you saw it at the end when Michael said, you know, you got Michael Jordan writing poetry because Phil Jackson has somehow mind-melded him. And what he did with Rodman, and, and I even thought the moment where uh, Rodman wasn't at practice and he just tells the media, he's not here, don't know why he's not here. Like, his ability to control each situation, I thought, was so critical given the cauldron that those Bulls teams were in. No, I agree with you, Nick. I think Phil Jackson is the GOAT among NBA coaches. And what he did the year Jordan was gone, when they won 55 games and played well in the playoffs without Michael. Remember, Jordan and Kobe, as great as they are, never won championships without Phil. I said this before, I'll say it again. For all his issues that he later had with LeBron that you mentioned, um, Nick, had Phil Jackson become a coach for LeBron James early in LeBron's career, I think LeBron would have more championships as well. And the GOAT conversation, uh, in many people's opinion, might be different. All right. Well, with the Jordan doc in the books, we're now going to turn to Wilds to tie a little bow upon it, uh, where he's going to be handing out awards for literally everything. We're giving him 60 seconds to do it. Use your time wisely, buddy. Uh, The clock starts now. Okay, thank you. Uh, The award for the most graceful move, Carl Malone going on to the bus to say congratulations to Michael. The award for best pregame parade. Now, a lot of people go for the postgame parade or the post-championship, but congratulations to the city of Indianapolis. The rare pregame parade. I liked it. The award for simple but good ideas. <laughs> earplugs. You guys got crowd noise? We got earplugs. Simple. The award for best added storyline that they should bring back. Give the MVP out before a playoff game. Added drama. I would just love it. Uh, best tunnel vision award. Congratulations, Jerry Sloan who didn't know that Jordan was sick somehow and also didn't know the final score of Game 3 of the Finals. So congratulations, Jerry Sloan. (laughs) The award for best Porsche vanity license plate. I was in the running for this one, uh, but we're going to go to Michael Jordan Air. Congratulations, Michael. The Grammy for best pregame music for Sart, Kenny Lattimore. Really a banger to get ready uh, for the big finals. <laughs> Best Leonardo DiCaprio cameo. Big upset here. Leonardo DiCaprio gets that one. And the uh, best teammate, this is a personal one, Libby Geis, my wonderful wife, who was the executive producer on the film. In all seriousness, it's been wonderful to see the whole world embrace the project. If you worked in sports, this project has been kicked around for 20 years, and it never came to fruition. It took a championship team, Netflix, ESPN, Jordan, uh, Mandalay, Jason Harris team, the entire team also pulled it off. 
an advanced uh, timeline with no face-to-face -face meetings, everything over Zoom. So I'm very proud of her. I'm happy to be her Pippin uh, to her Jordan. The, the comments for, for Wilds to his wife are echoed by all of us. She did an amazing job, and the whole, everyone that worked on it did an amazing job. If I may, I know it's your award segment. I'm going to add one award of my own before we're done. <laughs> the award for least or most implausible explanation is the whole thing about the pizza. Oh, yeah. It, why is Michael Jordan ordering a pizza with his name on it? Why does the pizza place know it's for Jordan? Why are you eating a pizza five guys delivered for you? There, I feel like we need a documentary from the documentary about the pizza by itself. Totally. Because I think Short there are film. some more layers there. And I don't mean layers by deep dish pizza, Jenna. <laughs> we jump on a morning Zoom call. Our staff at 5 a.m. every day. Normally, Nick doesn't wake up till like 5.08. Nick jumped on at 5 o'clock, fired up about this. This is legitimately what he's the most uh, totally fired up about this morning. So I give that to you, Nick. First Things First is sponsored by Ram Trucks, built to serve. Welcome back. Check out who's going to be joining us nice. in a little bit. Houston Texans three-time defensive player of the year. J.J. Watt will be us. Probably wearing his uniform and everything to get into the right mindset. Coming up right here on First Things First. But first, we've got Eric Mangini wearing his uniform as well. And we're going to play a little Eric, a little Eric, a little uh, drawing a blank. <laughs> Here we go. Aaron Rodgers opened up for the first time since the Packers drafted quarterback Jordan Love. Rodgers said he wasn't thrilled with the pick and his desire to stay in Green Bay for his whole career may not be a reality now. So, Nick, the chances Aaron Rodgers retires as a Green Bay Packer are blank. Oh, my gosh, I'm horribly embarrassed. This is the second time in 12 shows that I've done this, and I'm doing, I feel like knowing coaches on the show, it, it gets me all rattled. My my response was <laughs> shockingly honest. That, that's what I wrote because I misread the question again. The chances he retires a Packer are very low. I thought his comments were shockingly honest. I apologize to our graphics people. I've ruined it again. The point is this. I think he's absolutely right. He wants to play through this contract and then some. He's not even going to be able to make it through this contract if they want that pick to work out. So the chances he retires a Packer are shockingly low. These comments are shockingly honest. And he wasn't mean to Jordan Love, coach, but he was very honest about how he felt, which is he knows what the traffic means for his future. Yeah, my... my fill in the blank was was slim and and if tom brady can't retire as a, as a patriot there's very little chance that aaron Rodgers retires as a, as a packer and and at 36 years old he's got a four-year contract it really doesn't make any sense from a salary cap perspective to make a move in the next two years it would, it would be uh be devastating in, in that regard alone plus he's going to play it at a very high level i would i would argue that he could see the rest of this contract through he could make it through the next four years and and, and hold off uh the competition and and it would still give the packers the fifth year option when that when they eventually move on from them you know at the end of this contract jenna i'm going with uh tim grover's pizza take he got that pizza delivered by five guys in utah and he was like whoa i don't have a good feeling about this 
I think we should take the term writing on the wall <laughs> and replace it with five guys delivering a pizza. So how do I feel about it? I feel like five guys are delivering a pizza to Aaron Rodgers, if you know what I mean. Oh, we know what you mean. Wow, it's a good take. Uh, moving on to the uh, New England Patriots now. This one's for you, Wilds. Though many have already penciled in oh. Jarrett the Javelin Stidham as coined by Mr. Kevin as the Week 1 starter. <laughs> NFL Network's Mike Giardi recently said that he predicts Brian Hoyer will yeah, actually get the Patriots' first-team reps. So Nick Hoyer beating out Stidham for the Pats' starting quarterback job would be blank. I now realize why I screwed up my first answer because I saw this one and I got so excited about my answer that I just rushed through my work on the rest of the test. Uh, my answer here is Brian Horner beating out Jared Stidham with a bad starting quarterback job would be a javelin through the heart. A javelin right through Kevin Wilde's <laughs> heart. Because he, it, I, Brian Ooh. Hoyer doesn't have any good nicknames. Wilds can't trick himself into believing that Brian uh, Hoyer's great because we've actually seen me, Brian graphic. Hoyer play. And so, and so this is it would it would remove all of this optimism and like, well, maybe this is the next Tom Brady, because we know who Brian Hoyer is. Brian Hoyer's not the next anything, he's just the same Brian Hoyer. So it would be a javelin through the heart, not through my heart, a javelin Ouch. through a Ouch. heart, Kevin Wilde's heart to be specific. Coach, go ahead. Wow. Yeah, to, to me, to me, this is this is possible. And just like we talk about Aaron Rodgers getting re replaced, there's this assumption that that his replacement is going to be as good as him. And, and and in New England, it's the same thing. You're you're making this assumption that that Stidham can can come in and and be something close to to Tom Brady or 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 at least a. a uh, functional high-level quarterback, but there's no there's no guarantee of that. And with this abbreviated offseason and 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 differences in preparation, the veteran has the edge. And and at the end of the day, Bill is very good about playing the best player. And if Brian Horner comes out because of his experience, because he's been there for five, this will be his fifth year uh, working with the Patriots at at different points. He's got a significant edge over Stidham. So, first of all, if Jared the Javelin threw a javelin through my heart, and that's the way I went out, it would be a total and absolute honor. Uh, and probably good for the show, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm okay with... I don't know about that. <laughs> it, would... <laughs> it would just be a real scene. Um, so, when Brian Hoyer signed... Part of the deal was in the news reports that he wanted to compete for a starting job. So I'm okay. If Jarrett the Javelin can't win the starting job, I'm okay with Brian taking the job. But you know where my heart is, Jarrett the Javelin, both literally and emotionally. I love that one of Nick's reasons why it won't work is that Hoyer doesn't have a nickname. Without a nickname, there's no way you could be a starter. <laughs> On to the return of NASCAR oh, yeah, now. We can remedy that. So, Wild's got to uh, come up with one. Right. Well, you're on the clock, Wilds. On Friday's show, we had on Kevin Harvick. And then on Sunday, he won at Darlington. As a result, about 15 yes. NASCAR drivers now want to come on the show on a Friday. Not really, but probably. Nick, Harvick winning at Darlington after appearing on First Things First Friday is blank. You got the question? I got it. Oh, I got it. And I've got more than the question, Jenna. <laughs> I've got a pocket full, in fact, a room full of money, thanks to Kevin Harvick. So the answer is wildly profitable. I believe in the first things first karma. He was six to one. 
And listen, I'm not saying this is how the gambling has gone. However, over the last few weeks, I gave out a Super 6 winner, all six on the draft. There's $10,000. A few days later, Wilds alerted me to the fact that you could get Secretariat at three and a half to one. That $10,000 theoretically rolls over on three and a half to one. Now we've got $35,000. That $35,000 at six to one. Now in theory, if you've just been listening to my advice, you have $210,000 to play with. I would recommend you put that on a two-team futures parlay of the Lakers and the Chiefs to win the next titles in each sport. The Lakers, whether it's this year or next year, whenever it comes back, and the Chiefs. Now you've probably got a million bucks, America, all through listening to this show, following our guests. So we got the Super 6 into Secretariat, into Kevin Harvick. Now we're giving you a Lakers and Chiefs parlay. We got a couple hundred thousand to play with, Coach. Wildly profitable. Like like every gambler, Nick has a system that can't fail, which is which is always amazing to me. And and, and he's <laughs> I'm gonna get right on all those suggestions that you've made. To me, this is fitting. Here, here's a guy who is willing to get up early on on Friday morning, two days before the race, and and come on our show. And and to me, that that's uh, the definition of of someone who who does things uh, the right way, the smart way, who's willing to investigate. Uh, the, the shows that, that make a lot of sense. And, and look, he was perfect on the corners. He led for 159 laps. It's all fitting. You come on this show, yeah. good things happen. There we there go. You know, go. you got the Madden curse. You got the Sports Illustrated curse. This is the reverse. You come on the show, big winner. The only one problem is, Coach, I know you've got Nick's 256-game uh, schedule laminated. And, Nick, I know <laughs> yes. that you put a lot of work into it. But you've got the Texans as 9-7. and seven. we got J.J. Watt coming up in 15 minutes. So, all of a sudden, I think the Texans, boom, maybe 11-5. and five. <laughs> yep, Easily. So, go ahead, Nick. I know you're dying to say. You're bubbling out. Go ahead, Nick. No, no well, listen, J.J., J.J. could have another defensive player of the year. It could be individual success for J.J. I don't know, okay. if I'm being honest, if even the gravitational pull of, pull of first things first is enough to overcome Bill O'Brien. Even this show has its limitations. Oh, oh. Wow. <laughs> By the way, just to recap, if you have $200,000, you should do a two-team features parlay. So just do that, and you should be all set. Futures. And then learn what gambling is all about, and you should no. be fine. Jenna, Futures. Jenna, Jenna, yeah, close enough. All right, let's end with the latest Twitter beef. <laughs> I had to write it down because I wouldn't remember no, all the words, no. and I got one of the four words wrong. Oh, no. This Twitter beef was between Nick and actor J.D. Williams, a.k.a. Bodie from The Wire. Now, Nick loves that character the way I love Elaine Bennett. So you can only imagine his heartbreak when Williams tweeted at Nick, Nick Wright been asking for it for a long time. Someone's going to give it to his expletive. Nick, I'm guessing he disagrees with your LeBron Jordan goat debate. But Bodie from The Wire calling you out on Twitter, which just rattled your weekend, is blank. You guys know... (laughs) I'm not prone to hyperbole, <laughs> and I try to be a pretty stoic person. So I don't want to overstate this. It's true. This might have been the worst moment of my life. I, 12 <laughs> years ago, I started a book on The Wire. This is a true story. I started a book on The Wire. I, re- I, I, I outlined it. I talked to a potential publisher, and one of the parts of the book was going to be the 75 
most important characters on the show ranked. Because even back then, if there's one thing I could do, it was lists. This is, this is the greatest show in the history of shows. And coming in number five, The Great McNulty. Number four, the just brutal Marlo Stanfield. Number three, the iconic Avon Barksdale. Number two, Omar, who might be the most singular character in television history. And number one was Bodie. Calvin Bodie Broadus. He, he wasn't even that big of a character unless you really in, invested in the show. And to know this person hates me is so crushing. I'm, I'm, it, it was, I woke up Sunday morning to a text from Sam Pepper. And it said, what did you do to Bodie? And I look at my phone and I see it. And I just laid in bed and I said, what, I, should I retire? What do I do? So I say this, uh, I, I, you know my commitment to take integrity. Bodie, whatever I bro, said, yeah. I want to take it back, man. I, I envision <laughs> Whoa, take integrity to friends. You hate me. I, it is so heartbreaking. And coach, it was the worst moment of my life. Oh. Okay, well, you mentioned stoicism. I, I, I rank you right up there with Marcus Aurelius. Um, and as much as you love, as, as you love Bodie, <laughs> I really, I really loved him as, as Special K in The Sopranos, and he was, he'd be one of my top five characters there as, as well. But look, this, oh. this is understandable, Nick, and and here's here's why. You, you obviously appreciate his work, and and you have a lot of friends that you like and you enjoy, and and you and I have a great friendship. And sometimes your takes can be frustrating to people. Now, and I say this from 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 this from this perspective, they're smart, they're well they're well backed up. You you can you can you can uh, consistently go back and forth with people. And I think sometimes other people can't hang with you in that perspective, and that gets frustrating. Oh, and that's when you you turn it around. No, I'm saying that's a, and you, it happens with Coach friends too. Coach is taking a deep they, dive here. Where they get well, where they get to the point, on Nick. Where they get to the point where they just can't hang with you, so their answer is now okay. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna whoop you, okay? And that's in the schoolyard. That's always the last resort of someone who's been beaten, you know, in an argument or beaten, you know, in in any sort of ranking or discussion. So you beat him, and he's he's. He's resorting oh, to this, and Nick. it's Thank understandable. You. Wow. So what a, what a, settle, what a oh, shot. Settle down there, expecting that. Settle down there, my stoic friend. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nick, my advice is to take a page out of uh, Phil Jackson's book. Take your draft of your uh, book proposal, get a little coffee can, turn off the lights, write a poem to Brody, put in the coffee can, and then burn your book proposal, and it's in the past, and that's the way to move forward. Right. What a great right. way to button better. that up. I love bit. it. Well, Nick, our condolences go out to you. We feel for you, buddy. Not even a little bit, but just for TV's sake. Take a break. Back here on First Things First with Chris Broussard, and we're talking The Last Dance. With the final two episodes in the books, we can now turn our attention to the very hard-hitting question. Did this documentary help or hurt Jordan's legacy? Who's the real GOAT, Jordan or LeBron? So a recent ESPN poll found 73% of NBA fans, both younger and older fans, believe Jordan is the superior player overall. 
Nick, that's got to sting just a little, but I will ask you, how do you think The Last Dance impacted your opinion on the great debate that is who is the greatest of all time? Well, the documentary, as great as it was, didn't affect my opinion at all. And I think for most people that were alive for the era, it didn't change their opinion. Jenna, you said the poll has to sting. I think the fact that 27% of people think LeBron's the greatest shows about a 25% increase over just the last four years. It was June 21st, 2016, when I went on Colin Coward's show two days after Game 7 of the Finals against the Warriors and said LeBron was the greatest player ever. Not that he could be, that he already was. And at that point, I think it was 98% to 2% in favor of Jordan. So I think you're seeing a, a steady uptick of people coming to this realization. And I want to say something about Michael Jordan before I get to the LeBron part. People think I hate Michael Jordan. Couldn't be further from the truth. I, I fell in love with basketball in large part because of Michael Jordan. He was, at the time, the greatest player ever in my favorite sport, and I do sports for a living. This argument has never been about what Jordan isn't or wasn't. It's about, for me, what LeBron is. And what LeBron is is bigger, stronger, faster. He's done it against far tougher competition. Every team he's beaten in the finals is better than any of the teams Jordan beat. He's done it with coaches ranging from downright awful to pretty good, as opposed to having the GOAT coach for his entire run of championships. He's done it longer. He's done it in, in a more variety of ways. His biggest weakness became his biggest strength. The guy who once we doubted how clutch he was, now has more buzzer beaters, more game winners in the playoffs than any player ever, has more points per game in elimination games and game sevens than any player ever, and his game translates to any era. Drop LeBron James in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, or right now, and he's the best player in the league at any given time. So it's never been Jordan can't, Jordan isn't, Jordan wasn't. It's just been a guy came around who's bigger, stronger, faster, a more versatile defender, can play all five spots, can guard all five spots, has done it far longer and has done it at a higher level, Broussard. So, no, it hasn't changed my opinion, but I do think opinions are changing on this, the fact that one in four people think it is LeBron. I agree with you on two things, Nick. One, this hasn't changed my opinion either. I've long said Michael Jordan's the GOAT. I still feel that way. And number two, look, picking one over the other is not ripping the other guy. LeBron is fantastic. I've got LeBron number two. I've got Kareem number three for the record. But Michael Jordan is the GOAT, and, and I, I don't know if you're saying there was a scientific poll back in 2016 when you said LeBron, LeBron was the GOAT, but I actually think that this documentary has added more young people to the Jordan side. I think, obviously, people of my generation were thinking it was Jordan. I'm shocked that in that ESPN poll, he ran away with it among young people, among millennials, and I think this documentary has a lot to do with it. Look, LeBron, we nitpick on this. But Michael Jordan had no weaknesses whatsoever in this game. Even if someone tries to argue three-point shooting, first of all, it wasn't a weakness at the time he played. Secondly, his career three-point percentage is the same as Kobe Bryant's. 
Nobody's looked at Kobe and said his three-point shooting was a weakness. So Jordan had no weaknesses. LeBron does, as great as he is. Number one, the free throw shooting. That's a weakness. Number two, LeBron doesn't move well without the basketball. That makes it tough for him to fit into a system everywhere he goes. Everyone has to adjust to him rather than him being able to fit in, which can make it tough for stars to play with LeBron. Number three, LeBron doesn't really have a go-to shot. Certainly not that, you know, stop on a dime, pull up mid-range jumper. That can be tough on him. And then you want to talk about, a lot of people say, the super team era that LeBron's played in. Here's the problem, and that's why he only has three rings and nine finals appearances. The problem is that LeBron had super teams. He was one of the first with Wade and Bosh, and they only won two out of four. They lost to Dirk Nowitzki, the lone superstar on that team that beat them in 2011. And then in Cleveland, Kyrie Irving is going to be a Hall of Famer. Kevin Love was putting up numbers we hadn't seen since the eight before the ABA-NBA merger when he was in Minnesota. That's a super team. So... LeBron is great, but Jordan is clearly the GOAT. Here's the wrap it up. The way LeBron dominated the East and put it on lock for eight years, phenomenal. No one else thought they could beat him, and no one else did. They were shook. Michael Jordan did that to the entire NBA. The entire NBA was shook because they knew they couldn't beat him. Well, they were shook. Listen, they were absolutely shook except for before Jordan started winning when they won, the year Jordan came back when the Magic didn't look shook, and then right after. But that's fine. Listen, you mentioned the super team in Cleveland. LeBron lost one NBA Finals with Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving alongside him, and it was to the most talented team ever put together, the 2017 Warriors. The first year, Kevin Love and Kyrie didn't play. They were hurt. And the last year, Kyrie was gone. So, But this Paul Wilds, here's how I know this poll. And there's all that Jordan, as you once put, would win. Who's the tallest player ever? 59% of the people (laughs) polled said Michael Jordan is a better passer than LeBron James. That means 59% of people are just going to vote for Jordan. They either have a LeBron bias or they're just so drunk on the Jordan Kool-Aid that if, if six out of 10 people say Jordan was the better passer, then I think you know you're not operating with a fully honest sample size, Wilds. So, Nick, I, I think this is less of a science experiment and more of a perception experiment. And I think when you think about Jordan versus LeBron, it, take away stats and just think about the storytelling. And that's what The Last Dance was. It was a story. And specifically, hang this all off of the Be Like Mike campaign. People can relate to Michael Jordan because they see themselves in Michael Jordan in a way. And it's been very crafted, but it works. Michael Jordan wasn't the best player in his own family. He was a little brother. He gets cut from his high school team. He's drafted third. And then what happens? He gets to the league. He gets hurt. And then what happens? It's happened to everybody. There's some bad boys, the bullies. And the bullies beat him up, but he overcomes. And then he retires. He's got to come back. Everyone's felt that in their life. And then he's sick. He's sick and he's able to power through. There's so much perception in the Jordan story. I think it really helps people relate to him to the point where I think LeBron has an opportunity here as LeBron gets a little bit older and he starts to be viewed as an underdog. I think, Nick, this is really good for LeBron's legacy. If he can win, it will be one of the first times he's an underdog besides, of course, 
when he beat the Warriors, 73 and 9 Warriors, and you declared him the best player of all time. It's a good point. Wild has a better reception story. Is key, LeBron just happens to be the better story. player, Jenna. Welcome back. Now joined by Houston Texans, J.J. Watt. J.J., good morning. I was going to ask what you've been up to during quarantine, how you been, but I already know you and your brothers, Derek and T.J., hosting your own TV show, Ultimate Tag, airing this Wednesday night on Fox, the season premiere. Tell us about it. Uh, it's a fun game. It was a chance for me and my brothers to host a show together, which was great. We got to uh, rib on each other and see who could read a teleprompter, who couldn't. Uh, but more importantly, it was a chance for us to watch these extreme athletes go out there and uh, do some incredible things. I mean, this this game has adrenaline. It has excitement. It has energy. Uh, it has injuries. It has everything. It's it's pretty wild. And these athletes are extreme. So it's a lot of fun. I think people are going to like it. JJ, we were talking off the air. I was down in Houston right after you got to Houston, right when you were exploding onto the scene, becoming the NFL's best defensive player. You still have the NFL all-time record for most sacks per game in NFL history. You're tied for the most Defensive Player of the Year awards ever. In your last five healthy seasons, 80 games, 85 sacks. The, the key word there, though, is healthy. How frustrating has it been the last half decade at this point that you work as hard as you do and you've had seasons cut short due to injury? Yeah, I mean, it's extremely frustrating. There's no doubt about it. I mean, uh, whenever you have to deal with something like that as an athlete, all you want to do is be out there with your teammates and play the game and be able to contribute and help win. And so when you can't do that, it's tough. And then the worst part of it all is having to go through the rehab process and every single day not be able to do the things you know you can do and the things you know you want to be able to do. So I've learned a lot from it. I mean, it's made me, it's forced me to grow as a human and to just learn a lot about myself. Um, would I go back and not have any of them if I could? Absolutely. But I can say that I have learned some things from it, and uh, I'm looking forward to this season and the ability to go back on the field. JJ, I have one statement and one question. The first will be the statement on behalf of my wife and our producer, St Sam Pepper. Go Badgers. Second of all, uh, we're talking about the last dance a little bit before the interview. I feel like the whole world viewed it through one lens and elite athletes view it through another lens. What were some of your takeaways as being an elite athlete with the last dance? One of my biggest takeaways was, I mean, obviously, besides the drive, the mentality, the motivation, uh, was the on-court, off-court dynamic. I mean, just comparing it to today's world. I mean, Jordan was smoking cigars in the locker room. Uh, he was playing golf with opponents the day before <laughs> finals games. He had reporters in the locker room with him, walking around with him. I mean, some of the stuff that went on off the court, uh, I don't think you can get away with in today's world. And I think that it's just that hyper-focus, hyper-sensitivity. Obviously, Michael Jordan had it back then, but it's social media in today's world. I mean, imagine if LeBron walked in smoking a cigar to a game. Like, it would just, it would, the, Twitter's head would explode. Uh, it's just, it's a different world. And I think that that's the biggest dynamic for me. And also, it's one that I kind of take away as an elite athlete thinking, man, this guy dominated the whole world in basketball while smoking cigars, drinking scotch, playing golf the day before games. Maybe you can loosen up just a little bit. And uh, as long as you do your work, you can have that fun as well. And also back in Jordan's era, five guys would deliver you a pizza. Now today it's just one. So times have really changed. Uh, JJ, let's look at the schedule. So 
Uh, week one, you travel to Kansas City, you take on the Chiefs, and then week two, you guys host the Ravens. Which quarterback is more appetizing to you, Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson? Who's a little harder to game plan for? Uh, it's always the first one. So, I mean, we're going with the Chiefs first. They, they have two different, obviously, teams in general. Um, last year, I got to play against the Chiefs, obviously, and I didn't get a chance to play in the game against the Ravens. So I'm looking forward to both of those opportunities. And it's a chance right out of the gate to find out what you got. And we really look forward to that. I mean, if you're going to go out, if you're going to come out of the season hot, hot, you might as well come out against two of the best teams in the league and stack yourself up against them. And I think we're really looking forward to that challenge. And then even more so week three, uh, the Steelers and playing against my brothers. Looking forward to that opportunity as well. JJ, I understand you're a player, not a GM. You've said, you know, things are above your pay grade. I think you're the highest paid player in the history of the team. So I don't know if anything's above your pay grade, but we understand what you mean. Uh, but when you lose a friend, when, when Nuke gets traded away, not only a friend, but one of the best players on the team, what's the immediate reaction to it? I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, he's an unbelievable player. I've said I believe he has the best hands in the game. The guy can catch literally anything that you throw his way. Um, but I think that one thing that you people don't realize when you're talking publicly, they want you to say all these things. I think that people have to realize that not only did we trade away a guy who's a friend, a teammate who's been with me for years, but you're also bringing in new guys in a trade that if you go out in public and you say all these things, you say, oh, we want that guy. We why did we lose that guy? Well, at the exact same time, you're telling these brand new teammates that you're bringing in, we're mad that you're here. And so it's just, that's not how the world works. You can't, you can't operate like that as an athlete. No matter how much I do want DeAndre here and I wish that he was here, I also am excited about the new guys that we have and looking forward to have them on the team. So anybody who wants me to come out and say all these negative things or anything, I'm not going to do it. Um, do I think DeAndre is an unbelievable player? And do I, am I going to miss watching him? Make circus catches every week? Yes. Another former teammate, Jadavian Clowney, played with him for five years, still a free agent. Are you surprised that he's still on the market and available to teams? He'll find a team, he'll find an opportunity, and he'll go out there and he'll wreak havoc like he does. Uh, he's a great player. He, he makes a lot of things happen, and uh, he'll find a team, no problem. All right, Clowney's still on the market. You know who's not on the market? J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt got married this year. J.J. Watt also hosted SNL this year. It has been quite a first couple of months to 2020 for you, my friend. Assuming that the league can do it safely and smartly, how much are you looking forward to getting back on the field and playing football and not just talking about how you're going to play football, even if there's no one in the stands? How much are players looking forward to that? Very much so. I mean, obviously, we want to get back out on the field. We want to play games. We want to compete. We want to give fans the excitement. We want to give them something to watch and get excited about. Um, and this is what we do. I mean, we train all year round. We work so hard because we want to get out there on that field with our teammates and play those games. So very much looking forward to it as long as we can do it safely in the right way. But yeah, we want to get back on that field. JJ, you mentioned, uh, you know, looking at the first game is the most important one. And I know that's always been your mentality, but and I'll be quick here. But given the fact that the first game does happen to be the immediate opportunity to avenge what was a playoff defeat and a really crushing one, did that was there a little ex added excitement that we get, we don't have to wait for Kansas City, we get them immediately? Yeah, it's definitely an exciting opportunity to get right back in that same place, get right back against that same team, and have an opportunity to go out there and compete again. Obviously. 
we don't even want to think about what happened last time. It was horrible. Uh, that's not the way that we want to remember our time there. So we're looking forward to an opportunity to go up there and create some new memories there. Um, and what better way to start out a season against the champs? Um, if you want to be the champs, you got to beat the champs. So we're looking forward to that opportunity. All right, JJ, let's have some fun. I got a couple questions for you. Don't think, just react, just speak. Here we go. Ready? Bigger off-season right. surprise. Tom Brady leaving New England or Rob Gronkowski unretiring? I mean, they go hand in hand. If one was going to happen, the other was going to happen. So I would say not. I would say Tom leaving that. All right. The last player you would ever drive cross country with? My brother. <laughs> Just any, either of them. <laughs> we get in fights. I mean, we, we wouldn't, somebody would get kicked out halfway through Kansas. Love it. <laughs> What's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself during quarantine? I need to become a better cook. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm trying, I'm working hard, but uh, I set off the fire alarm way too many times. You and me both, my friend. Take the Texans out of it. First answer that comes to mind. Who's going to win the Super Bowl this year? Can't say the Texans. Oh, I mean, there's no, you're not going to get that answer out of me. If I, if you, if I had to, I'd pick my brother. But that, that's it. Okay, well, you had to oh, and you picked, and Steelers. I did get an answer out of you. All right, you, yeah, Steelers, you like me, you like me, my friend, workout machine. I love it. I watch all your videos. So we're going to go in the opposite direction. We got 30 seconds left. What is your go-to cheat meal and how much of it would you put down? We got about 10 seconds left. Chocolate chip pancakes, um, 15 of them. Love it. I love it. JJ, thank you so much. Good Good luck on Ultimate Tag airing this Wednesday on Fox and the upcoming season. We got to go.